Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Takeshita is the Chief of Optometric Services and Coordinator of Children's Programs for the Center for the Parsi Sighted in Los Angeles, as well as Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. Um, the Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Thank you, Dr. Bill, for, for uh, providing this lecture for us tonight. Oh, thank you, Sue, for hosting these and putting on these great topics. And I want to thank all of you who are attending this evening. Um, tonight, we're going to be repeating a discussion about the topic of glasses for children and how to get kids to wear glasses. As many of you know, one of the most effective types of treatments that we could use to help a child with low vision at any age are glasses. There are some children who need glasses to correct for nearsightedness, farsightedness, or astigmatism. But in other cases, we will use glasses where we will use a tinted lens to reduce problems with glare. Or we could use other colored lenses that will increase the contrast for a child so that a child could see steps and curbs when walking outdoors in the day. And we also could utilize glasses to insert prisms, which will eliminate double vision for those kids who have a cross or a misaligned eye. So the first thing to remember is that Glasses are not only used for that conventional treatment of making things clearer. Now, many people often ask, how can you measure the prescription that a child needs if a child cannot speak? You know, how are you able to prescribe glasses for an infant who's only one month old? Or what about a child who has autism and is not able to speak? How can you measure their vision and their need for glasses? Well, many people think that the way that a doctor determines the need for glasses is by asking the patient that very common question, which is better, one or two? Two or three? Which do you like better, four or five? And this is the way that doctors often will examine adults. But when you examine a child you can't expect that child to speak. So we perform a particular test that's called retinoscopy. And this is when we use a special instrument that shines a beam of light into the eye. And that beam of light will then focus onto the retina. And we could see, as doctors, how does that beam of light focus on the retina? If the beam of light is blurred as it focuses on the retina, we know that the child sees things blurred. So we simply take lenses and we put the lenses in front of the eye until we see that that beam of light is now focused sharply on the retina. And once we get to that point, we now know whether or not that this child does have a prescription for glasses. So in other words, it's very, very quick and very simple to determine whether a child or a person who is nonverbal 
can benefit from glasses. The thing is, is that not all eye doctors feel very comfortable using this particular instrument and this technique. Even though it's one of the oldest techniques used to examine the eyes of children and adults, many people get a bit lazy and sometimes they feel, well, maybe it's easier for me just to ask a patient which is better, one or two, which is better, two or three. And today, with the advancement in different technology, we have equipment where we can have a patient look at a picture, we press a button, and it will give us the patient's prescription. Now, that particular instrument, which is called an auto-refractor, it is very, very, very accurate for adults. But for children, it is not as accurate because the kids often don't look at where they need to. So all in all, all pediatric optometrists and pediatric ophthalmologists are very, very skilled at performing retinoscopy, and that's how we can determine whether a child does need glasses. The other thing that we talked about was that glasses are often used to reduce glare. Many of you probably know that almost all children with low vision are bothered by glare and bright light. While there are many different colored lenses that we may then prescribe for a child to reduce their problems with glare. Many people only think that tinted glasses are in the color of gray or black, but every color underneath the sun is available. And again, pediatric eye doctors can determine which color works the best by a few different things. Number one, based on the diagnosis of a child, we often know that specific types of diagnosis these kids often will prefer a particular type of lens. For example, many children who have retinitis pigmentosa as a very young child, they often will respond very well to a red-colored lens. So we could prescribe a red-colored lens and insert the child's prescription in there and make the glasses for the child. On the other hand, there are other kids who may have a condition such as albinism where they are extremely sensitive to the light and they will perform better with a very dark lens, almost like a black lens. So based on the diagnosis, based on the child's eye color itself, and also based on other tests that we will perform, we could then determine what would be the best color that the lenses should be. The third thing that we will often do with kids is we measure the alignment of the eye. This is something that is very, very easy to do by using a pen light. We turn off all the lights in the room and shine a pen light in the child's eyes from a distance of about 16 inches. And we look at the reflection of the pen light. The only thing that the child could see is the pen light because we're in a darkened room. And when we look at where the location of the reflex of the pen light is in the pupil, we could determine if the eyes are straight or if one eye is misaligned. And we then measure if the reflection of the light is misaligned in one eye, we measure how much is it misaligned and we do a calculation and we could calculate how much prism is needed 
to eliminate this child from seeing double vision. And then we could incorporate into the child's glasses prescription and the colored lens, the prism as well, and all of this could be put into the glasses and this could all help the child see. As kids get a bit older, we will also then incorporate other types of low vision devices. It might be a small telescope, it could be a bifocal. We can incorporate all different types of devices that will improve the child's vision and these could all be placed in glasses. So the first thing that we talk about is how can you be successful in having the child wear these glasses if you have measured all of these particular findings Now we're going to prescribe glasses. Well, the most important thing is to know that you have the appropriate frame for that child. And this seems very, very obvious, but in many cases it is not. The reason that it is often not very obvious of what is the proper frame for an infant is that the optician may not be very experienced in working with young infants or working with children for that matter. Many children do not have a fully developed bridge of the nose. And when this is the case, and you put a pair of glasses on the child, what happens is the glasses often sit so close to the child's eyes that every time that the child blinks his or her eyes, the eyelashes hit the lenses, and the child cannot stand it. They pull the glasses off. So we have to look at the bridge of the nose of the child. If the child has a very flat bridge, we often may need a pair of glasses that has what's called an adjustable nose pad. This is when there's a separate piece that we as opticians and eye doctors can adjust so that we can move the glasses away from the eyes so that the eyelashes don't hit the lens. So we need to look at the bridge of the nose. Number two, we then also have to look at the eyelashes of the child. Infants may often have very, very long eyelashes. And if the eyelashes are so long that they're always touching the lenses each time the child blinks, that is very, very uncomfortable. So for these kids, we may also change the curvature of the lens of the glasses. So we could specify a specific curvature to the lens of the glasses so that when the child blinks, the eyelashes won't hit the lens. And when you are trying glasses on a very young child, if the child doesn't sit upright, you have to remember that the child who lies on his or her back is going to have the glasses pull closer to the eyes because of gravity. So we have to look at the bridge and the eyelashes very, very carefully. After we have looked at that, we have to consider the earpieces, and the earpieces are called temples. Now, the temples should be such that when you open the temples on the glasses, it should almost be exactly the same width as a child's skull. It should not be where you have to bend those temples way out or you have to bend them way in. But they should really be pretty much straight, like a right angle to the front of the lens. 
Now, there are temples. Some of them will have a spring hinge, and the spring hinge makes the glasses much more durable because some kids are going to use one hand and pull the glasses off. By having a spring hinge, if the child pulls the glasses off that way, it does not break the temple. This allows the glasses to be much, much stronger. But the spring temple, the spring hinge temple, is something that is more expensive than the non-spring hinge temple. And then we also have to look at the back piece of the temple, the part that goes over the ears. Does the doctor recommend one that's just going to go straight back? Does the doctor recommend one that wraps all the way around the entire ear? Or does the doctor recommend a special type that has a cable that wraps around the ear? And lastly, there are many times that we recommend temples where the end piece is going to be such that there are two elastic straps. One elastic strap goes behind the ear and behind the head to the other side. In other words, it connects one earpiece to the other. And then there's a second elastic strap that goes over the top of the head. Very similar to if you're wearing headphones from your Walkman. Now, that particular type of elastic strap is something that's very helpful if a child has a deformed ear. You know, there's many times that a child is born and the ear is not fully developed. So this type could be very helpful. Number two, this double elastic strap is also helpful if a child is wearing a hearing aid. And number three, it's also very helpful if a child is in a wheelchair or has some sort of a halo or a head rest and a child really can't control his or her head. With this particular type of a double elastic strap that goes behind and over the head, if a child is turning his head or her head to the right or to the left, we don't see that the head rest is pushing the glasses off of the face. Okay? So we have to be understanding what would be the best type of frame, the size, the bridge, the temple pieces, and then the temple length. And these are all things that the doctor should prescribe. Again, the doctor really should be prescribing these types of features because the doctor knows what would work best for that child. Now, when we think about these different types of frames, we also have to be aware that parents want the glasses to look a particular way. Does the parent want a plastic frame or does the parent want a metal frame? Does the parent want a designer frame that says Mickey Mouse on it? Or does the parent want something that's going to be more of a sports frame? So we have to often educate the parents of what type of frame would be better for the child. If a child is wearing a particular type of prescription, such as a far-sighted prescription, a far-sighted prescription, these types of 
lenses should really go into a plastic frame. So a child who has a high farsighted prescription or a child who has received cataract surgery and has to wear those thicker types of glasses, they usually will be more successful if those lenses are placed in a plastic frame. The reason for that is that the plastic frame is thicker and it will be able to hold the lenses better than a metal frame. Now, this is not to say that we cannot do it with a metal frame, but if you do put that type of a hyperopic, far-sighted plus lens into the plastic frame, it's going to be much, much more durable. Now, conversely, if a child has a high degree of myopia, then we often find that a metal frame will work very well for these types of prescriptions. Or if a child has a very, very flat bridge of the nose and we have to use the adjustable nose pads, there are more frames with adjustable nose pads available in the metal style as compared to the plastic. So these are some of the reasons the doctor might recommend a metal or a plastic frame for that patient. It is really depending on the prescription and which type of frame would hold it better. We also will talk to the family. Sometimes families will know that their child has an allergy to metal. You know, many times little babies, they're given earrings at a very young age or they're giving chains, gold chains. But sometimes kids are allergic to these types of metals. So in these cases, if they are allergic to metal, we may have to use a plastic, or there are also special types of plastics that are hypoallergenic. So this is also very, very good. Now, when we're thinking about all of these different types of frames, after we consider the prescription, the size of the head, the structure of the ears, whether a child is wearing a hearing aid or uses a wheelchair. Once we determine what is the best type of frame for the child, we also then have to think about the cost of it. Frames can cost any place from $5 a frame to hundreds of dollars a frame. There are even Cartier frames that costs $6,000 for an eyeglass frame. No, isn't that ridiculous? You would get your sunglasses made in Cartier and you would leave that at the gas station pump the very first day. I know that's what would happen to me. But these particular types of frames could be very, very, very expensive. Now, for a family who is not concerned about money, that makes things very, very easy. On the other hand, if we have a family which most children with low vision are low income, most children with low vision are low income, these kids are able to receive their glasses through Medicaid. And Medicaid only will give the doctors a certain allotment of money for the frames. So they pay on the order approximately $20 for the frame. 
So what this means is that most of the frames that are designed for children, if you get a high-quality frame that will have these features that will work for the child, most of these frames are more than $20. And as a result, many doctors may say, well, we're just going to have to go with this frame because this is the frame that Medi-Cal pays for. And the parents will say, okay, if that's what you say. And when they order those frames and they put the lenses in there, these glasses don't fit the child. They're uncomfortable. They might cause sores on the child's nose, sores on the child's ears. I have even seen adult frames, frames for adults that have been sawed with a hacksaw to try to make them fit that child. There is no way that these children are going to wear these glasses, but that's because of the financial end of things. So what the solution is is that you really want to refer these children to a eye doctor or a group of eye doctors that are experienced in working with children and are experienced in billing Medi-Cal. Now, Medi-Cal in the state of California or Medicaid in other states There are specific plans where you can write a prior authorization letter. So as a doctor, I could write a prior authorization letter to the state, and I could say, little Jimmy requires a specialized frame with spring hinges and an adjustable nose pad and a double elastic strap behind the temple because he has a head posture problem and other glasses do not remain on his face. We then fill out another little slip of paper called a TAR, Treatment Authorization Request. We write the child's name, the Medicaid number, and why we want them to have this special frame. And then within about a week to two weeks, we get a response from Medicaid, and they say, that's fine. This particular frame is fine. You may go ahead and order this for that patient. We also find that there's situations that glasses could be heavy for a child. And we want these children to have lenses that are going to be much lighter in weight. And we want them to have the prism. We want them to have the tinted lens. So we write a prior authorization for special lenses. Here in the state of California, if we do not write that type of special request, the lenses are going to be made in the prisons. That's right. People who have been convicted of crimes and are in prison are the people who are making the lenses for people who have Medicaid or Medi-Cal in California. And in many cases... They do an excellent job, but they are not using the latest materials that are thinner and lighter in weight. So by simply writing a short request letter to the state of California or other states, whatever state that you live in, the doctors could spend a little time to write that letter, and the Medicaid will almost always authorize it if there is a valid reason that that child will benefit from it. So 
What I'm telling you is that if a child is of low income and they do have Medicaid, a doctor who is experienced in working with children will be able to write this special authorization request and get that special frame that will be best suited for the child with the special lenses that are best suited. And then we have a device that's going to be comfortable for the child to wear. Now, after the glasses have been made and we have this beautiful design, we now have to then teach parents how to help their child to become adapted to wearing glasses. You know, many children do have tactile defensiveness. They don't like to be touched on the face. They don't like their hair comb. They don't like their teeth brush. And they don't like wearing glasses. So for these children, we usually take certain steps of trying to desensitize them. And what we do is we tell parents during an activity that the child really likes, let's begin to touch the child on the head. We could brush the child's hair. We could stroke the child's hair. We might put a headband over the child's forehead. We might massage the child around the cheeks. And this might be while we're listening to lullabies. If a child loves being in a warm bath while you're giving the child a bath, we could touch the child around the head or where the glasses will be. If a child loves to watch videos, we could do it then. Or maybe a child just wants to be carried. You could touch and massage the child at that time. After the child has become more tolerant of that type of touch, we will then do the same activity, but we will then put the glasses on. So if this is a child who loves to play in the bathtub, we'll put the glasses on and we'll have all kinds of toys in the bathtub so that the child could play with those toys and the child won't be quite as aware of the glasses. But we will only put the glasses on during those activities that the child enjoys. And if we then see the child wears it longer or isn't aware that the glasses are on, we'll keep them on longer. And we'll continue with that particular type of strategy until the child is able to wear them for a longer period of time. In some cases, we might use or recommend a different type of strap that keeps the glasses on the child's head. But rarely, rarely do we ever resort to using arm constraints where a child cannot bend the arm. We have found all of these other types of techniques to be very, very successful. But the important thing in terms of getting the child to wear the glasses, to put the glasses on the child during something that the child really enjoys. For kids who are a bit older, we'll take them to a movie. We tell mom and dad, go take them to a movie, let them put the glasses on, give them a bucket of popcorn, and let them watch the movie. He probably won't even realize he's had the glasses on. Anything that that child likes to do, video games, reading books with your child, whatever it is that that child enjoys doing, do it. We also encourage all the family members to begin wearing glasses. And we'll say, i got to put on my glasses. Do you have your glasses? And everybody's going to look for their glasses. So the child understands everybody's wearing glasses, and that is something that would be fun and fine to do as well. If you say that, well, I don't wear glasses, you could wear sunglasses and do the same sort of thing. You get in the car, let's put on our glasses, 
and everybody puts on glasses, and that's a very, very effective way. So all in all, getting a child to wear glasses is something that begins with the doctor. The doctor must guide the parents by telling the parents what type of frame should be used, what size frame, what kind of earpiece, and so on and so forth. The doctor should then also recommend specific types of lenses that aren't going to be as thick or as heavy. And then parents could begin to do these types of adaptation techniques during the one or two weeks that you're waiting for the glasses. And you could slowly put the glasses on during those activities that the child enjoys, and then you'll have success. So at this time, I'd like to open it up to Sue and others Mm -hmm. out there who may have questions. You could press star six. And if you'd like to share some other suggestions you have, or if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to ask. Oh, Dr. Bill, I think you covered it really well. I mean, I think um, the thing, one of the things we have to look at when we're we're um, looking at helping children prepare for glasses is obviously the developmental age, and uh, you know things like fighting the child's favorite activity. Or I've always found that you know trying during feeding time is great because with a very with an infant, for instance, perhaps in a um, who might be doing some feeding or finger feeding with Cheerios or raisins or something that, re- that require them to have to look for it, the glasses seem to be a way to kind of encourage them to use their vision and then also be able to see the value in using those glasses and finding those objects. So that's, I think that's, that you, that's an excellent you, suggestion because there's a great positive reward because they get to mm-hmm. eat uh, their favorite food. Yes. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So I think, you know, you covered it beautifully. I don't know if anyone else has any other questions, but uh, I, I was also very impressed with the um, ideas of being able to, how you can, how families can go about finding um, those resources that they need by asking doctors to, to um, you know, investigate what, what can be available for them in terms of frames and such and writing those letters. Yes, you really hope that you could find a doctor who is willing to do it. It Mm -hmm. is more work for the doctor to do it. And I guarantee you, you will run into some doctors who will say, no, Medicaid will not do that. But these Mm -hmm. are doctors who simply don't want to try. We do this every day, and we're able to get children very, very high-quality frames and lenses that improves their success with wearing mm-hmm. the glasses. That's, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and so Sue, what do we have next month? Um, well, <laughs> next month was actually our plan that we were going to take a break next month because of the holidays. It always seems to be a time when people are really busy. Um, but the following month in January, we have a the topic we had discussed was. Uh, pediatric conditions that um, that can, can result in deaf blindness, and I think that was something we had discussed a while back. How does that sound to you? Okay, that would be a great topic. Yes. Okay, because I know a lot of times people are talking about Usher syndrome and wanting information about that, and some of the in charge syndrome, and some of the other ones that that we see um, in our, on our caseloads, and wanting to know more information about that type of thing. Okay, that would be really, really wonderful. 
And okay. uh, this evening, I'd also like to thank Mr. Dick Burden. As always, he is the one who records these podcasts for us. And this will be available probably within a few days at the Braille Institute mm-hmm. website at www.brailleinstitute.org. And also mm-hmm. at the Airs LA website at www.airsla.org website. Um, the other thing that Airs LA is asking any of you who do listen to these podcasts, if there are any other programs, magazines, other things that you would like Airs LA to record and put on the website available to you for free. Um, please let them know by simply going to the web page and you could respond and reply there. Another announcement that I'd like to make is if you are in the western United States on Saturday, November 22nd, we are having the Best in Tech. And this is a free conference that you can attend where you are able to then try and listen to people as they talk about the best in technology for people with low vision. So this is, again, it's a free event. It is going to be at the Doubletree Hotel in Culver City, just about two miles from Los Angeles International Airport. And to get more information from that, you could simply go to www.bestintech.net. Okay, so I thank you, Sue, very much for putting these on each month. And I want to thank all of you for attending. And if there's anything that you ever have questions, please feel free to contact us. So, again, we will see you next year. Thank you so much, Dr. Bill. Oh, thank you.